0: Are automation and AI on your roadmap? Well, you can connect with peers to explore the latest knowledge and events, programs, hackathons, even an academy and certifications. The forum is the core knowledge hub where you can find guidance on all these things. So join the UiPath community at community.uipath.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined as I often am by my wonderful co-hosts, Matt and Ciora. Hey, y'all.
1: Hi. Hello.
0: How's everybody doing?
1: Good.
0: Good.
2: good. I feel like everyone's doing good today.
0: Yeah, some positivity. Yeah. 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 That's great. I have some fun news stories I picked out for us today. The first one that I want to get to is a professor uh, in the world of computer science who teaches at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. The piece is called Coping with Copilot, and it's about <laughs> how AI-based developer tools make it far too easy for students to quote-unquote cheat, quote-unquote get help, use these you know, AI pair programming assistants um, to write a lot of their homework or their assignments for them. So let me stop there and get a few thoughts.
1: <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. The title of the article itself is like hilarious. Like kudos to him. Yeah. So coming up with that. <laughs> the
2: The first thing that jumped out to me was one of the quotes saying, students armed with co-pilot will be bringing Uzis to a knife fight. <laughs> yes. It's just not fair on these poor
0: no. educators.
1: Um, I actually was in high school during the time when um a lot of those like like websites and apps were coming up that like could solve mathematical equations Wolfram for you. Mm. Alpha. <laughs> yeah so so i i wonder i wonder now if like this is a, a thing that teachers on a broader scale are annoyed with even like um i feel like you know the whole thing with spark notes and like looking that up instead of actually reading the book so you can have like a loosely informative like book report or whatever it's interesting to see this like trickle down into uh computer science yeah now for sure. that tools like co pilot have been introduced i wonder if this is one of those things where like long term it'll end up being more detrimental to the student because right. they're not like maybe they're I wonder if they're, like, skipping out on really internalizing the basic concepts that are going to help them, like, solve Mm -hmm. problems. Because, like, for professionals, obviously, if you've made it to the point to being a professional, you probably have a pretty decent grasp on, like, basic programming concepts that will, like, help you throughout your career. So using a tool like CoPilot to make things a little faster makes more sense. So I wonder what that's like for students.
0: I think you make a really good point. Like what, where is the line between, Hey, you know, everything I do in a word document now has a sort of grammar checker and a spell checker built in. So it's just picking that stuff up for me and me actually knowing and remembering those rules. And the line is every once in a while when I have to write something by hand and I become terrified (laughs) that I don't know how to spell anymore, but you know, yeah, like you, you sort of offload a lot of that work. Um and as the the professor pointed out, um, you can sort of the way copilot is built, you can give it a problem statement or even just a function name. And he kind of I don't know if he was being facetious or just for hyperbole, but as far as I can tell, he said copilot was specifically trained on all the intro programming assignments. <laughs> so I think another issue here is like you might have to rewrite the curriculum. Yeah. You've always yeah. used these intro assignments year after year. Well, they're not valid anymore because like why would the kids, to your point, Sierra, need to learn this stuff if they can just tab it once they get to their job or whatever?
2: Well, so I think that's that's a big part of maybe a fundamental shift we might see in computer science and development over the next, you know, five to 10 years is mm-hmm. instead of building the puzzle, you're actually just responsible for putting the pieces together. And those mm. are two very different skills. Like, yeah. Learning, learning how, you know, Dijkstra algorithm and binary search and, and knowing that stuff is good and useful if you're building for that. But if your role and responsibility is more about like fitting together the different pieces that you need, like you know what functions you need, you know what functionality, you can just point a system at it and go, that might be a fundamental shift in what being a software developer means. You could actually get the more yeah. like high tier software developers or you could get the more lower level uh, ones who are building that functionality in the first place
1: yeah and i i wonder if that's necessarily a bad thing like no. is it bad that like students are cheating <laughs> 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 when i say that out loud right. it sounds funny but like <laughs> if you really think cheating. about it
0: <laughs> no is it bad that students are just using the technologies available to them like
1: yeah. uh, cassidy
0: was on here once talking about how she got in trouble for programming her old TI-83 calculator with all the physics equations and then she would just plug it in and the calculator would do it. And that was, again, like mm. if you were really savvy, you could take this tool, the calculator, the specific kind of calculator, the graphing calculator that you're allowed to have on the SAT and yeah. preload basically a bunch of the stuff that you would otherwise have to memorize. So like, you know, people have always been kind of utilizing the technology to a degree.
1: Yeah, and I feel like even with professionals like we've been having conversations, tons of conversations with people make creating companies and startups that specifically target issues in programming and computer science and software development that are tedious and that mm-hmm. take away from the like creative work or the problem solving that people actually want to do. And technically, it's made software development easier I put that in quotations in a lot of different ways. I think it's honestly just made it different. So we're dealing with different problems now, focusing on different things. So I kind of see this as the same potentially. Like I'll have to see longer down the line, like in a few years, when all these people who are students who are in computer science programs graduate and they become software (laughs) engineers. Like, are we going to see real issues with like software development because they were cheating? Or is it going to be like they just worked smarter, not harder? I don't know. We'll see.
2: I, I feel like this is very much the same as, you know, when like web frameworks became a thing, like React and Angular. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, that's cheating. That's that's not doing the proper <laughs> HTML, CSS yeah. and building it in vanilla JavaScript. And this is just a different version of that. It's You see this argument a lot with like the low-code, no-code movement. And, right. you know, re- really all it is is just making us work faster at the end of the day. We still have to know what we're doing. Um, right. But, yeah, th- there might be some negative flow and effects where people are just trusting auto a copilot too much and right. then that results in a bunch of people and a bunch of bugs and some nefarious things happening that we may not intend.
0: Yeah. Understanding what's really going on underneath the hood, I think to Sierra's point, we don't know yet. We'll see yep. if that makes yeah. a big difference if they're less inventive or less able to deal with issues in the future. Or, you know, right, if they're just getting rid of the cruft. Uh, there's one part of here I have to read very important. The professor who wrote this said copile is different from searching for answers on Stack Overflow. You can already find <laughs> examples of code online, but you know, then the instructor can Google them and compare the code with a plagiarism detector. Copilot generates novel solutions. So he's, uh, there he's saying like, well, we know kids are already copying, but at least I can catch them this yeah. way. I have no idea. <laughs> so that's like, that's a professor <laughs> problem. That's not a student problem.
1: Yeah, I, I think the thing that makes this situation different is that we're not talking about professional software developers who have gone right. through, like, learning the fundamentals. We're talking about students. So I really don't know how this is going to affect them long term. But I would right. like to hope that it's not going to be that big of a deal. I don't know. I don't want to be mad at people who are trying to just, like, make things easier. You know, that's my whole, like, motto at this point. <laughs> yeah. Like, Right. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, the professor at the end kind of says, like, We can't just plug our ears, you know, pretend the internet doesn't exist, plagiarism doesn't exist. Like what, like, right, you know, reasonable developer in their, you know, like future life is not just going to use this amazing sort of like second brain machine. What we need to do is rethink from an evaluation standpoint. Like how do you evaluate kids and make sure that they do grasp the concepts and that they can like get to this stuff from first principles.
2: I feel like a lot of these technologies, just with the rise of. A lot of these kind of like AI generational programs, it's Mm -hmm. there's there are going to be things that need to change over the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And that's gonna range from education to professional work and kind of like everything else in between.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, great. I want to go on to another story. Um, this one has a couple of interesting sort of like links to things we talked about before. The story is about monetizing the Godot game engine. So Matt on the wonderful episode full of discussions of moose and pokemon go you brought up godot as one like an open source technology you might want to get involved with yes it's very highly thought of in the community like some other game engines are like you know kind of catching flack for how commercialized they are this one's open source very popular and game development lots of fun so what's interesting about this is that it kind of parallels another discussion we had this woman heather meeker come on the show to talk about open source and like how and when does it make sense to commercialize open source? Like you have this super pop- popular project, Godot, but how are you going to you know like build a business around that now? So it turns out that OSS Capital, which is the venture firm that invests in open source software or commercial open source software, where both Cassidy and Heather work, is one of the investors leading a new round of funding into sort of like a spinoff off from Godot called W4 Games that plans to use kind of like the Red Hat playbook to create a business, you know, that sits sort of side by side with the open source engine, which they hope will still continue to like grow. Okay, wow, big windup. Apologies for the big <laughs> windup. I just wanted to point out all the cool para- you know, the, the cool like connections between yeah previous episodes. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Ciara. Yes,
1: I have one quick question before yeah. we jump into the discussion. This is coming from someone who knows nothing about gaming or game development. Mm. What is a game engine?
2: Mm, good yeah. question. Yeah, a, a game engine is essentially a collection of tools and functionality kind of similar to kind of like what react is to a website um Mm -hmm. for developers to use so it provides um a a bunch of kind of like pre-worked on tools for game developers to use to build an engine so you're not having to rebuild everything from scratch so they'll have movement systems shooting systems they'll have inbuilt shaders and uh physics and like all all that kind of stuff so you don't have to build that from scratch every time you get going and Within within the world of game engines, there are three kind of three more popular ones, and that's Unreal okay. Engine, which is uh, run by uh, sorry, it's uh, Epic. E- hmm? e- e- Epic, yes, thank you. It um, then oh. yeah, there's the Unity Engine, uh, which is run by Unity, yeah. uh, and then Godot. And Unreal is an insanely powerful engine because it has Fortnite money. Basically, anything the Fortnite developers <laughs> want, it's it, Fortnite is built on uh, the Unreal Engine, and it's one of the few kind of examples within the game industry where you've got a game engine with its own parent company also developing a successful game. So you've mm. got that really tight synergy mm. there. And that's one of the main problems with Godot is that it doesn't really have any commercially viable games available available. I think there was a Sonic game that that came out a little while ago, but it really doesn't have any kind of like hero things. I could talk about this for a very long time, but the the things holding Godot back really are the lack of commercial games for larger projects. There is also, it's not currently available to port to consoles. So with a game engine, you typically can port to desktop, to Nintendo Switch, to Xbox, to PlayStation. But the problem with that is, is that you need the proprietary code to integrate with those consoles. And with Godot being open source, they can't actually provide that. So at the moment, ah. it's only only available to uh, desktop, mobile, and web. And what one of the things that they're doing with W4 is going to be offering that service to be able to help port to games. Um, oh, nice. To sum this all up, I'm super excited about what this means for the Godot engine because they're addressing a lot of the pain problems that it needs. And it's another interesting way to monetize open source as well.
1: Yeah.
0: And Sierra, to tie it back again to our earlier conversation, like Matt was saying, um, you know, you, you put out a great game. You want it to be on all you know the different platforms or whatever. Um, but it's been under this open source uh, MIT license, and that means they can't provide support for consoles. So they're going to create sort of like a forked version for W4 Games that uses a different, more commercial license, kind of like what Heather was telling us about.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah,
0: so mm-hmm. it's a fun bit of news and fun to see a bunch of stuff that we've been talking about and people we've had on the show yeah. making some news out in the world. So yeah. I like
1: that.
2: There's also, if I can do a quick shout out, there is a very, very wholesome YouTube channel called DevDuck, who is making a game in Godot about a marine biologist who is trying to kind of clean up the ocean. It is, oh, that's he, so cute. It's Super so awesome. cute. And he also, like, <laughs> for, for his Patreon subscribers, whenever somebody subscribes to Patreon or re- reaches a certain tier, He's got all these aquariums dotted around his office. And so he buys little, like, uh, aquarium-based, like, shrimp or fish and names them after the patron. It's so Aww. it's so cute and wholesome. Yeah. So That's I would 10 adorable. out of 10 recommend DevDuck. Yeah. That's
1: cool. Uh, I'll have to check that out, too. Cool.
0: All right, one last one before we head out. We had a big conversation um, like a week or two ago about social networks and how they're all sort of copying each other and blending into this. Like they're all chasing each other, trying to become the same. I don't know who dropped this link, but Snapchat, which I was too old to ever really get into, (laughs) says that I just I'm the wrong generation. Like I remember when it came out and I was like, I'm not I can't do it. Sorry. Like it seems like a cool it's not for me. I'm old. Remember, I was in college when Facebook came out. I was there. It came out. snapchat uh has one million subscribers on snapchat plus uh system which i guess you get like i don't really know what what kind of perks do you get if you're a snapchat subscriber
1: yeah i added this link because i've noticed that at least twitter has struggled with monetizing and i feel like the broader conversation around social media is the drive to monetize right like it's like we're trying to get more like mind share by imitating TikTok or whatever mm-hmm. so that we can push them out the market and get more money. So I thought this was interesting because Snapchat has kind of like been essentially the same in utility for years they haven't really tried to be like anybody else or add features like anybody else and they've had a lot of ups and downs i remember when instagram first started adding like the filters like snapchat i thought snapchat was done like i thought (laughs) it was over for them but um it's nice to see i guess i'll say it's interesting to see a social media network monetize in a way that's like through subscribers, that's not through ads or yeah. like e-commerce or anything like that. And it actually generates like a considerable amount of income.
0: I think yeah. one thing I just wanted to get back to is like, you know, where do, where do, where do social networks feel like they have to go? We talked last time, the attention economy, like they want to grab more and more of your time. One thing that I think is kind of unique about Snapchat, again, not having used it, but I, I know some people who work there and stuff, is that for people who did get really into it as a group, it, it became very much like a text Messaging, group chat, mm-hmm. DM, more type platform, more about having d- had like really long term deep relationships with people on Snapchat, and so in a context like that, I think a subscription makes a lot more sense. It's just like this is the place where I hang out with my friends, yeah, you know, from five ten years ago, and we still hang out here because this is where we became friends or whatever it is. So yeah, it makes yeah. a lot of sense Sarah, to your point that they could have a different business model,
1: right? And they like they really dug into that and stuck with that. And yeah. um one thing that's really interesting is that. They have added one of the premium features, which I didn't even realize Snapchat was being used this way, but one of the premium features is that you get pushed up to the top of the queue when you message or respond to a celebrity's story. Oh. So that, that makes that means that it's more likely that they'll see you or respond to you. And I think the subscription is $3.99 a month. So that's one of the benefits. And then like I think you get some like extra some other extra perks that like I guess make sense if you're a heavy Snapchat user. I also don't know if you guys <laughs> knew this, but Snapchat is also like really big on the dating scene. Like instead of trading numbers, people will mm. like Ex- exchange like i can safely say
0: <laughs> i had no idea i had no <laughs> yeah.
1: clue so it's like for keeping up with celebrities keeping up with your friends keeping up with like dating and stuff like the got it, got it. so cool. it's it's it has its use and like snapchat has really stuck to that and they're able to like monetize off of that which i think is interesting um and it's it it's really cool to see honestly that they're They haven't really changed their tune too much. I know that I'm not going to say that like Snapchat is a saint or anything, but I do think that's cool that they've stuck to their main purpose. They didn't try to chase after what other platforms or whatever social media networks were doing. And they just focus on what their users like and come to Snapchat for. Mm -hmm. And monetize off of that. And so, yeah, I thought. And they made
0: a selfie drone, which nobody bought. But hey, that was a good idea. (laughs) All right, y'all. It is that time of the show. I don't have any new lifeboat badges, not because people aren't trying hard, but just because we do so many podcasts. So <laughs> this week, I will shout out the winner of a great question badge. They asked a question that got a score of 100 or more, which I think means it's a question that a lot of people have, and it's helping a lot of people. So awarded five hours ago to Jemo. What's the difference between a thread and a co-routine in Kotlin? Gemmo, thanks for the question asked five years ago, helped 25,000 people. So we appreciate Ooh, it.
1: Nice.
0: All right, y'all. Um, as always, thanks for listening. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. You can reach us with questions or suggestions, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps.
1: And my name is Cior Ford. I'm a developer advocate at Auth0. You can find me on Twitter. My username there is Ciorio. That's C-E-E-O-R-E-O underscore.
2: And I'm Matt Kiananda. I'm a developer advocate here at Stack Overflow. You can find me online and YouTube and Twitter at Matt Canada, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R.
0: Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Bye. Bye.